What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Dapper Villains podcast. I'm Dana Blue, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jay Such. Dave Jay, what is going on, brother? Brother, this is very good. Um, I'm feeling great. And uh, this is in the, the first time I think we have done a podcast in uh afternoon it's like, like midday uh, on normally, a friday i'm, I'm rocking normally it's either like you know really fucking early morning or uh late night so yeah, it's usually like 11 p.m or 4 a.m right it's like yeah now we've got like a midday friday i'm all relaxed in a a, a t-shirt you're rocking just like a white you got a white button up so you're normal yeah but i mean we have done well in the early morning ones because yeah. like, you know, you wake up and you're doing a podcast and we always thought like, oh, 4 a.m. would be shitty, but it would be better, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but then the rest of my day is shot. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So like today, you know, I'm sure we both had a really productive day and this yeah. is about to end and like, you know, actually I should bring out the bottle of wine on that. Yeah, why not? So I can get drunk. I made a second um, batch of coffee, so I'm, uh, I've got like 600 mils of this, coffee here. This guy, this particular guest we have today is Palmer a Ezekiel. real, a true friend. Yeah. He, he stayed in my house two weeks and, uh, uh, I've, uh, you know, he, he's shown me his hospitality when I'm in Africa with my dad and, uh, yeah. and my, my dad loves him as well. I had a white guy stay in my house for a month and my dad you referred to him as, hello, good morning, my white son every day so when palmer came i said don't do that with him good morning my black son every day i mean like it's, it's, it doesn't work yeah, that, that, that would be bad but yeah palmer seems cool and what i'm really interested in is he, he has his like his fingers really on the pulse of of fashion and style for for the continent of africa yes right so absolutely. which is something that we've had other guests talk about from like a third party perspective like they're looking yes. at it from the outside Palmer's yes. in the heart of it and, and yes, that's absolutely. what i'm excited about yes yes let's go ahead and i mean Palmer right talks what do you think? yeah let's 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 do oh, it before let's we do it. that guys do not forget to subscribe itunes google play spotify stitcher check out our youtube our facebook if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. That helps us grow. Helps that us helps us reach more people. And that means we can yeah. bring better guests to you, better insights to the to the menswear world and more perspectives, right? Jay and yeah. I are, are adamant that we're not trying to... We're trying to talk to people outside the box. You know, that's why we yeah. have a Justin Hunt on the show, uh, uh, Scott Adams, right? People who can help us push the narrative in a different direction and get a different perspective because of course we love talking to tailors we love talking to designers right those are the people that that inspire us but also yeah we need to understand menswear from from outside that space and yeah, i mean from that's, different angles yeah you can't not everyone can be a rich fresh and a darren beeman right yeah we need to have yeah. you know we've got franklin anthony who's got a uh, franklin moss who had a really unique style owner of franklin anthony you know yeah. Jay Gatz, who's just pissing everyone off in the industry. That's our yes, boy. We, we all fuck with him. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's why you know we need to, and we're trying to step outside that American bubble, that European bubble. And yes, yes, you know, yes. I mean, I think this is the first guest outside of America that we've done. And we had a. Is it the first out? No. Well, well I guess Darren Beeman was in New York. Yeah. Um, New York, at yeah. that time. So, so this is our, yeah. And I mean, Palmer's the guy to do it. So yeah, let, let's go ahead and bring him in. Let's Don't do forget it. to subscribe. You know, and let's just enjoy this conversation because send I us money if you like. Send us uh, money if you like. <laughs> we'll get that to that at a different point. So let's bring Palmer in. But yeah, if you want to send money, feel free. Uh, unmarked feel unmarked free. bills yeah. are great. Palmer, welcome to the Dapper Villains podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm super excited. We're excited, man. We're, we're just talking about how, you know, how excited we are because of the the point of view you're bringing. You're our, our first guest that's not in in the U.S. as we talk to them. We've had Europeans and stuff, but they were always in in the U.S. So. And again, like I think the the style and culture of Africa is so overlooked, so we're excited to get into that. But before we do, Palmer, uh, do us a favor for our guests. Just tell them a bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, sure. Um, so essentially, um, I'm, from, I'm from I'm from Zimbabwe originally, um, and I left Zimbabwe and went to Australia when I was when I was quite young. I was about 18. Lived about 13 years in Australia, and then I eventually moved back to South Africa. Um, I'm in, uh, I do projects, I'm a businessman and entrepreneur, so I do projects which evolve around uh, textiles and, and fashion. Uh, my first business is, uh, is Button Brothers, which is a made-to-measure business, which I've been running for about four or five years now. My business partner, Marvin. And then uh, the next business I actually do with Jay uh, is a business called Capra, and uh, we basically distribute uh, fabric on, on the African continent, uh, suiting and shirting fabric. Mm. Uh, the, the last project that I've sort of involved in at the moment, we only started it about two months ago, is a business called Apara, uh, which is quite, uh, it's quite interesting. It's, a, it's quite a business I'm, I'm quite passionate about because it's, it's quite connected to the continent. Apara basically means uh, to dress up in Soto, which is a, a language Soto. And uh, this business makes uh, ad pleasure. So, but the ad pleasure is going to be so ingrained within African culture. So African patterns are going to be coming through. Mm. Uh, you see a sort of a relaxed sort of like at leisure with like African patterns and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's what sort of what I do. Nice. And yeah, you know, I, I love the the style aspect of of like especially African color palettes. Like, you know, it basically throws Western color theory on its head and uh yeah. does some really bold, outrageous stuff that looks great. And uh we, we recently yeah. talked to a, a very a popular designer named Rich Fresh who was uh talking about like his real appreciation for those bold colors as well. And like how sometimes they get lost in translation between Africa and the U S and they don't get executed yeah. quite as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, it's a very no, subtle line for sure. Um, yeah. it, it's, it, you know, you, you slip and you could just do it all wrong. And, yeah. uh, to, especially yeah. to make it high sartorial, which, you know, me and Palmer are you know trying very hard to like, be I'm able sure to find that pretty niche. hard you're just you're riding his coattails <laughs> i am <yeah. laughs> i mean yeah. we we have to print the fabrics together and come come out with um the, the clothes so uh it is me too motherfucker <laughs> yeah. and i mean I, 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 another thing you, you'll find as well with, with some of this you know the interpretation of african garments or african uh clothing is, is that sort of generic sort of style that people think that, oh, yeah, it's just like a caftan, which is like bright colors. And you find here, it's not really like that. People here don't even wear stuff like that. You know, mm. people here, uh, I find when they do the African thing, it's sort of really connected to their roots and where they're from. It's their heritage, you know, yeah. like you find in South Africa. Each tribe has got uh, a particular pattern that's connected to. So, you know, you find the Tosa people. Um, which are sort of from the Eastern Cape, they have this pattern, which is like a black and white sort of pattern. And you know, if you go to their weddings, they're all wearing it, and it's sort of really elegant and beautiful. And then you go to Lesotho, they've got the sort of Lesotho blanket, which is quite cool as well, and sort of means something to them, you know? So I think you're right, African, and this is what Jay and I are trying to do. I'm trying to provide Jay with a bit of information 
on what it is that we do here and what, 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 how culture uh, works here. And then we try to interpret it in a modern way, but still really connected to, to the continent. That's awesome. And not an easy task. Not an easy task at all. Yeah, so I know you said all. you lived in Australia for, for 13 years. Were you involved in menswear and textiles in Australia or that happened when you came to South Africa? No, I was involved in Australia. So when I left, um, I, when I went to Australia, actually, I worked in retail for a little while. So I worked for, for brands like Lacoste, Rock, Lorraine, and all that sort of thing. But just in retail, you know, I was sort of going, going to university. Yeah. And that's where, the, that's where the, the love and the, the, the exposure really came from, you know, being exposed to, to brands like Ralph Lauren, you know, Purple Label and stuff like that. That sort of gave me a real insight on the sartorial world. And it gave me a sense of, of, of wanting to understand the depth and complexities involved in the makings of these products. So that's where it sort of started. And then I started the business Button Brothers there, which is a made-to-measure suiting business. And we ran it there for about two, maybe three years, four years. And then now my business partner is still in Australia. He's running it there. And I'm, I'm here now. Yeah, okay. Nice. So you're, you're kind of running on two continents. And uh, well, yeah. on, on the continent of Africa and that little island called Australia. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, basically. <laughs> so when, when you were in Australia, you were also styling a lot of like famous athletes and, and celebrities and stuff. How, how, so you were um, also like doing event managing and that's how you got your clients or something? Yeah, yeah. So um, essentially, when I was there, I used to work with um, with, with a brand which uh, which used to work with a few nightclubs, um, and I used to do events and nightclubs and all that sort of thing. And you know, as you know, the territory like when when any rapper or celebrity comes into town, they sort of come to nightclubs, and I got to meet a lot of people by that way. Uh, and a really good contact that I met within within doing that was uh, was the same Bolt, which we've. Um, We've styled Usain Bolt and we've actually made a suit for Usain Bolt. Nice. Um, you know, in the past four years, I think every year he comes for the races, uh, the Melbourne Cup, which is held in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, we've, we've been lucky in that regard and we've managed to meet some really awesome people uh, who are really inspiring, you know, which people look up to and we've managed to style and make products for them. Did you ever style, uh, what's his name, the uh, para, para runner from uh, Australia, Patronus? No, no. Didn't know, <laughs> but I see. I see. Like the. I mean, when I started um, connecting with Palmer, um, we connected because he was wearing a necktie that was uh, from one of my homies in Naples, uh, Nicola Radano, and it was a Spaccanapolis tie. And uh, Palmer was dressed very subtle. Uh, you know, like in in Piti Umo, you would see designers from Africa dressed in real like extravagant peacock and they would just stand there on the corner and like be photographed way to be photographed and uh, Palma shows up in a navy blue Neapolitan suit and just straight up but the the accessories game would be would be where anybody who's sartorial would see this guy knows what he's doing this guy knows what he's talking about so I was like and I started following him text they were like dude your tie is dope as fuck and yeah. uh then I started seeing these wild parties um I mean he looks very sober now but this guy can party like it's with you saying bold and the whole gang it's like the man crazy I really want to yeah. join you guys one day I I don't have Maybe. dance moves though but I I can do that like that's the ball <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> after the Rona, we're definitely going in. Um, yeah, you know, we're talking to the boys like, man, we want to go out, we want to party again, and you know, live life. You know, life's too short. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what's yeah. what's the Corona situation in Joburg? 
Uh, look, it's pretty bad at the moment. Um, we've got cases rising, about 10,000 cases a day now. I think wow. we're on half a million cases. We did half a million half a million cases, so it's pretty hectic. I think we're number five uh, uh, highest cases in the world. But You're not in that same America. light, America's number one, baby. No, number one. Yeah, America's number one. America's doing, it's doing the thing. Trump's doing a great job there. I like his work. He's number one. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, it's it's bad, but I think it's going to get better. Um, you know, the weather's going to start opening up. It's summer, spring, and summer soon, and you know, we, we should be fine. Yeah, we've been pretty fortunate in Bangkok. Uh, basically, we're number one in COVID response. We've got no new cases domestically. Uh, you know, awesome. so it's, we're, we're, we're in a pretty good position. Jay's even going out to nightclubs at twerk competitions. I saw that. I was so jealous. Apparently, he was in a dance competition and he won. <laughs> <laughs> with these, with these, you were doing these. <laughs> Come on, it's, it's, it's 1990 style, baby. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's life's. I mean, it's still there's still things that are restricted here, but for the most part, I mean, you know, we we've been pretty good. But the country's still closed. Like you can't leave. No one can come in, unless you're like on yeah. a diplomatic mission or something. And that's the hardest part, I think, even for us, even for someone like me or Jay, actually, at the moment, you know, uh, the fact that we can't go and, and travel and do the work that we're supposed to be doing. You know, I'm supposed to be visiting Nigeria, I'm supposed to be visiting Kenya. And spreading the product and pushing the product out mm. there, but the fact that we're so closed and we can't move is really killing me. You know, so I hope it. I hope this this thing ends soon and we can get back to, to real work. You know. Yeah, and it's gonna be tough for the podcast when we can travel again because Jay's gonna be like, I'm like, oh, we have a recording Thursday. He's like, no, I'm going to Spain. Uh, what about Friday? Oh, oh, for sure. I'm gonna be for in sure. Norway. <laughs> like, yeah, this is this is a down out of like, oh, I, I'm stuck here. No, but podcast actually has been a blessing. It's it's been. Like, um, you know, like, for example, the stories about how we met and all that. Yeah. And um, I think somebody could listen to certain parts and find themselves in, you know, people's stories that, okay, yeah. they can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. I mean, it's, I said, we're going to have to figure out a way to keep it going once traveling is back open. Like my friendship and my partnership with Parma literally started from Instagram, you know, uh, yeah. like 10 years ago, nobody would have thought, well, Instagram didn't exist so hard 10 years ago, but yeah. you know, um, partnership is a, is a real, um, you know, serious shit, right? Like you don't, you don't fucking go into a partnership with somebody, but like with Instagram story, you kind of can tell a lot better about a person nowadays. Like, you know, like yeah. I've seen a lot of my drunk 4am stories <laughs> and he knows this is what I'm about for sure. Um, <laughs> I've Those seen are almost Pama's as good as your drunk 4pm stories. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, every but time I, Jay I, I, and I go to lunch, he's just completely yeah. wasted afterwards. Wow, Dude, it was that's the that's first it. time that the restaurant owner um, texted me uh, asking if I was okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that never happened. Dude, like it was okay. It was basically, you know, three, four bottles of wine, but then, you know, Dana went and worked out after, and I fucking passed out in the toilet. You know what's crazy? Jay was completely fine. Like, like it it, it happened in like an instant. And I don't, I I maybe think Jay was sick or something when it happened. I just like give him a hard time because we, we maybe had like three bottles of wine and a bunch of food. And, he was fine. And then all of a sudden, he's like, like fucking 15 pizzas. It's not a bunch of food. <laughs> we, <did>. like, <laughs> we had like a, he wanted like a vegan pizza and it's like, there's no cheese. So it's like literally bread and tomatoes and not filling at all. And, yeah, uh, no. you know, we're both fucking giant gorillas. So we're like, let's go with her. more, more pizza. More. And, yeah. you know, um, 
Yeah, know, by the Bill time, came out uh, and I had to sell my car. That's, that's how much it is. <laughs> yeah, just, every time we go to that place, it's good, but we spend like a couple hundred dollars just like on our bill. Yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. That's wild. Is Joe Bug expensive? Like sneaky expensive uh, where you go out to? No, I mean, to eat, to eat, I find it's quite, it's quite affordable. Um, I think when you start drinking and start, like, if you go to nightclubs, that's expensive. But, like, if you go to, to restaurants, I think it's, it's quite affordable. As compared to Australia, it's a fraction. So I, I quite enjoy I quite enjoy going out to eat here. I don't remember because like when I was in Joburg, uh, you were paying from a bill. So I don't remember how much. I just want to establish that I'm also a whore. And, uh, <laughs> I said, we got to go back to that place though, because uh, we ate a ton of food and, and drank a bunch. Wait, and it why, was like, why does whore bring you back to Indian food? What's, what's going on, because... That's yeah, disrespectful. That's racist. Yeah. You can't say these things. You're white. <laughs> cancel Dana. You, Hashtag you, cancel Dana. You, cancel Dana. You, you, you. <laughs> oh, man, that's wild. Next week, I, 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 Pama will be, be a better co-host anyways, dude. Like, I'll, I'll use Pama as a co-host. Yeah, he, nah, Dana's, Dana's good vibes. You got to get a black guy named Dana. That, no one knows the difference then because oh. everyone's listening on audio. Yeah. 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 So, so um, there's three three brands, right? Button Brothers, Cupra Fabrics, and uh, Apara. Apara is the new startup that you're gonna do. I mean, and that's I've the one that's the very African themed. Apara. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Dope as fuck. Like Button Brothers is like very you know serious bespoke so kind of deal. Mm -hmm. uh, you went to Naples as well, right? Can you tell us a story about yeah. like you know what what made you go and make a suit in Naples? Okay, okay. I mean, that's actually quite a really interesting story. And you mentioned something earlier about how when you saw me at Pity when I was wearing a navy blue suit, um, you know, it was really sort of subtle. And then I sort of put a, nice, a couple of nice accessories to it. That sort of that sort of idea and that concept for me comes from, I mean, it's actually a, a deeper concept. It really comes from a time, I think I was about 19, 18 or 19. I started working in a I started working in, you know, just in a sales job in, in, in fragrances, you know, I started perfume in a department store. And then the company I was working for, they started bringing in niche perfume. So, you know, there's brands like Beretto and, you know, just brands no one knew at the time, right? So anyway, uh, they put me on the floor and I started selling the stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm a natural seller. I, I started selling cars at the age of 12, you know, so I, I like to sell. Um, you said selling cars at age 12? Yeah, my, my dad had a kayak. He had a massive kayak, and I saw cars at his, uh, at his kayak. So, nice. Yeah, crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, this you know, type of guy is dangerous with girls. Like, this type of fucking natural salesman, <laughs> right? I, I don't want to go with Palmer. Like, unless his, his type is totally different, like, he's into like fat girls with big asses, then, then we, can, we can roll. But, like, which I'm definitely going to take all the girls away. And, uh, Jay doesn't right. have I mean, a type. Jay's into like any girl. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, listen, let me go back to the story. So anyway, yeah. oh. started, 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 started working in perfume, right? And basically, to sell, you had to be able to know the story. You had to know the depths and complexities of the brand and all that mm. sort of stuff. So I really started learning and trying to understand stuff in depth, right? Mm. And then I transferred this knowledge of what I was doing in perfume to clothing and to, to, to the rest of my life. Basically, my life had to make sense. And... I had to dig deep and have like a depth in whatever I was doing. So how I found Naples was I wanted to know um, how or where 
Giorgio Armani's idea came from. And then I just started digging and digging. Then I bumped into Keton and then, you know, Giorgio Armani, then Xenia. And until I, I, I truly understood that, no, there's actually small little boutiques in Naples where these guys make amazing handwork suits. And it's just like a man's haven, you know? So that's how it sort of came to me. And then I was like, okay, I need to go to Naples. I don't know where I'm going to start, but I'm just going to go. So anyway, a couple of months later, I got a suit made by one of my friends who was actually making stuff in Naples as well. I wore the suit and then a guy called Luca Gracia, no, actually, no, I lied. I, then one of my friends called Gue, Gue uh, which you know, uh, Jay. Yes. He yes. saw me wearing the suit and he's like, yo, that suit is crazy. Is it from Naples? I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, come to Naples and I'll introduce you to a guy who I think is fantastic. Anyway, six months later, it's pity time again. I go to Naples and I go meet this guy called Luca Gracia in the middle of nowhere. This guy's factory is in the middle of nowhere, you know, mm. close to Naples. Anyway, that's how it started. And uh, I started making stuff with them. Uh, and I totally fell in love with the idea of Made in Naples because it made sense for me too. The tailoring is super soft. Um, it's, not too, it's not too heavy. And it really works for Australia because Australia is hot uh, and Africa too. So, yeah, I mean, that's how it sort of started. And I mean, but you're, and you're now, in the industry, so you know cost pricing. And to see yeah. such a huge jump between whatever the cost is where you know in, yeah. in real b2b b2c businesses that you operate versus naples and i suppose like seeing the difference of you know handmade versus machine made also came from the time you because naples everything is they blame it all on handmade like any mistakes uh, because it's handmade um, <laughs> when you saw the first price difference what justified it for you or it was just like you're there might as well fucking do it um, I think, I think the story was sold to me well on that whole handmade thing. You know, once you put on a made in Naples jacket, when you wear it, it's sort of, it's sort of imperfect, right? Most of the time yeah. it's imperfect, but that imperfection is really beautiful too, when you look at it. And because I was already a man who is into depth and into a story and wanted to understand why I really appreciated that handwork. And I was like, no, this is beautiful, you know, and not everyone gets it, you know, and, and it's, it's extremely challenging to work with people. Naples because you have a client who wants a suit that's straight, you know, and then you get this jacket and the one side is a little bit different to the other. And I mean, that's beautiful to me, but to a, mm. a person who doesn't really understand that, it can become very challenging for you to explain that and to say, hey, this jacket is supposed to look like this. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. It's made by hand. So, yeah, I mean, I think some people appreciate it, the imperfection. Some people don't, but um, it's something that I really definitely fell in love with. And, um, you know, it's different. I don't like stuff that's the same. You know, I think it's really different. It's really unique. Some people sort of see that beauty in it. And that's what did it for me. I think there's a yeah, big value to that craftsmanship that, that gets put into yeah. like a Naples suit or a British suit. Like anything handmade, yeah. you know, when it's made by a master, I mean, that's where the, the value comes from. And like you said, there might be exactly. little differences. But again, if you appreciate yeah. the craft, you appreciate that beauty. And Dana, you said really something really special and something that's really important to me right now. Uh, and it's it's master. It's mastering something. You know, I think yeah. you look at our generation now and it's, you know, there's a lot of technology. People don't really think or, or do things to master them. You know, and people back in the day used to really want to master things. And I think tailoring is one of the only really industries, I mean, it's probably a few, where people want to be masters. You've got in Naples, people who work in that industry for 20, 30 years doing the same thing but they just become really good at it and then they become a master. And that's what my life is about. You know, I really want to do something and be so good at it that I become a master at it, you know? Yeah. And um, I think it's something that's really special to me. Yeah.
Yeah, there's, there's a, there used to be at least a, a way that people would would train in a craft where they, they're an apprentice, they become a, you know, they have to let, like a, apply to be apprentice, find a master who's going to teach them. They do that for a while yeah. and become a journeyman. And then after like so many years, at least yeah. it could be 20 years that they're a master of that craft. And I, yeah. you know, at least from my perspective, living, having grown up in the U.S. and then like coming here to Asia where higher education's like very overvalued. You know, people focus more on like, okay, this credential gets me to where I want to be. And if you have that credential, like that degree or whatever, then you're, you're a master, you're, you're good at this. And then that's not the case. It takes time in the craft to actually develop yeah. the skill and become a, a master. And it, it takes a lifetime. There's, there's a great yeah. book by an author, uh, Rob Richard Sennett, and uh, called The Craftsman. And it's about like, taking that idea of apprentice journeyman master and reapplying it to fields that are more academic focused, like computer programming or engineering where people could really yeah. benefit from that type of mentorship and leadership, as opposed to just being like, all right, get a bachelor's three years later, go get your master's. And then you're whatever you're all set. Cause you know, a, a degree or especially in a craft, something where you're building, where you're making, where you're working on something and, and, developing designing iterating you can't learn that from a book it has to be practical application and you need someone to mentor you in that regard and it's also how you manage to let your masters teach you like yeah. there's a school but then there's like disciple student master relationship where you have yeah. to make sure the master wants to teach you yeah yeah and and, and impress him enough with your dedication that he wants to teach you that he wants to bring you to the next level yeah that he wants yeah. to share with you and and that's kind of og old school yeah. way you know uh, like, like in yeah. naples for example it's kept for families it kept mm. there are a lot of yeah. things that have been kept for family members only and they don't pass it on um jay you're, you have a, well, a bachelor's in business administration i um it's business english Business which is like a fucking easiest yeah. subject but like, to do. You probably learned very little in four years doing your uh, your degree, right? How much of probably 99% Yeah, but with my IQ you, level, I learned very little, period. Well, I'll say 99% <laughs> of what you know in business probably came from your dad and just like him teaching you for the 30 years you've been alive. Like, all right, Jay, try Actually, this. funny enough, like my dad taught my brother-in-law firsthand. Right. He would like uh, go for six, seven months in a row. Yeah. Uh, my brother-in-law would be, you know, and he would be the one teaching. In my case, it was more, okay, I, I got a chance to free flow, but I also, there were things that he didn't teach that I learned. Yeah. Of course. And that mm -hmm. for me, I think makes me uh, like much more like my dad when you do business with me. Yeah. There are things that my dad didn't like purposely point out to, to teach me. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm than someone who like because because when you teach somebody you kind of like use it to remind yourself as well like a lot of mentors do this where yeah. they're mentoring you but they're what they're just doing is mentoring themselves back mm. you get this in a lot of like big brother situation where like, yo i'm your bro and i want to help you but then what they're doing is a either using you to step further mm. b just using it to re practice their own thing but the things that you are, you learn by just being around that person, just being in that workshop, just seeing the little mannerisms and traits and characters and things like that. That's what some, so you, you, you just get 
That's what you get from 30 years it. working with your dad. You, you probably you said you grew up yeah. playing hide and seek in fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had three cousins die being crushed by bolts of fabric. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Some of the annoying ones that show up on a fucking Sunday and I want to relax. And like, you know, um, like, hey, go, go grab that cup over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. You died in a polyester, uh, motherfucker. Not even a fucking comfortable fabric. You died because you couldn't breathe. Crushed by polyester. Yeah. 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 If, yeah. Awesome. Some yeah. some enemies and, I would help them die in a fucking hundred and forty by two two ply fabrics. It's just because I want to send them with grace, you know. Wrap them with with proper Italian cloth and let them die yeah. in peace. But. Some some just deserve a fucking polyester, to be honest. Death by polyester. Yeah. Awesome. That's gonna be. I'm gonna design that as a T-shirt. Death by polyester. It's gonna be. Dude, a- that's fucking yeah. cool as fuck. Yeah. Um, I've already got the idea in my head. I'm gonna sketch it out when we finish. <laughs> so all right, we covered Button Brothers. Yep. Now, Capra. See, see. Yep. Um, I traveled last before you know the world ended. Um, so to speak, I met with Palma uh, in uh, February, I think, and right uh, that's when lockdown. we, yeah, that's when we we finalized that. Okay, you know what? You and I just don't like. Um, it's not just that we 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 like each other as brothers, but we definitely got something huge here, like huge potential. Because my business covers from like cheapest of the cheapest cloths, like good quality cheap cloths, to super expensive. So seven hundred percent cotton. Yeah, to the seven hundred percent cotton made in uh, Egypt uh, again and again. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so you know, we we went to the fabric market in in Johannesburg and uh, met with a few guys, and uh, it it was insane, man. It was such a uh, it was so so clear that you know there we can go in and disrupt completely. Mm. And uh, Palma is so well connected with all the the high sartorial tailors, the guys who tailored for Jadena, the guy who, you know, makes for all the celebrities and stuff. Palma knows all of them. So we were like, well, let's let's get into fabrics, you know. So what 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 have you found that, you know, as a clothier versus a fabric supplier, did you find it difficult that, you know, the people welcome you as a fabric supplier? Did they find you a competition or things like that? How did you manage to draw the line? I think it, um, it was really challenging, especially in the initial stage, because you know some most of the guys that I was approaching are guys I already knew, uh, who were obviously my my competition and button brothers. But I was lucky because what was happening or what's happening in this market at the moment is there is no reliability when it comes to fabric supply, and there's not a lot of choice when it comes to fabric supply. So when I came on board and I presented Capra to them, you know I think a lot of them didn't want to touch it. You know, but when they saw the product and they saw the value that the product had, they had no choice. And also, you know, they were looking back at the other supplies that they had on the market, which were, I mean, not up to par. Then I think that that was my opening. I think if it was in a situation where I, I was in a market where the fabric suppliers are great and they're doing well, I think it would have been really challenging. But because of that, I managed to, 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 to definitely tap in and, um, and be able to, to utilize that opportunity there. Like as as fabric guys, we have one rule that tailors don't make good distributors. 
Um, but, but in your case, I was surprised. Everybody was surprised. I mean, we've tried like at least, you know, 10, 20 times. We tried it in Germany. We tried it in different countries in Singapore and stuff where a tailor shop owner wants to become a fabric distribution distributor. And, uh, they try to go knock doors and, and try to work with other tailors. And, uh, it never works because, you know, tailors are basically small business owners, small to mid-sized business owners. And ego yeah. could be a big thing where, you know, I'm also in the same tier as you. Why would I want to buy from you? You know, you're a competition. Yeah. Why would I want to buy from you? You know, um, 100%. There, and there are some fabric suppliers that turn into tailor shops. Like, for example, in my company in Thailand, uh, I'm opening a shop in Thailand. Um, I'm, I know for a fact I'm going to lose some customers that are, you know, going to be afraid uh, that, you know, okay, you're coming in as a fabric, as a fabric brand yourself. Um, yeah. We might not want to sell your brand now because, mm. you know, but what they don't understand is like the empathy level. When, yeah. when we understand you better, we service you better because we understand exactly. what you that's actually right. need. That's right, Jay. That's definitely, that, that's, that, that's definitely the key. I mean, I know the production of a made to measure suit. I know how important it is for my client to get that product in time, to be able to make the suit and get it out to their customers in time. I know the value of a good quality fabric, you know, and how that then in turn gets response from the customer. So all of those things, I'm coming into a fabric distribution business with all that knowledge in my head. And I'm trying to turn all of that information and use it to my advantage, right? So this is a very different situation to a business which is just fabric distribution and they actually don't know what it takes to make a suit or what it takes to service a client who's buying a suit. They're just pushing the, the fabric. So that, that, that's, that, that's my sort of model. I, I wanna go in here and help these guys and be able to make them win, you know? Mm. Uh, so next week, I've got, so my, my biggest customer here is a guy from the North, uh, from, um, from Santon, his name is Frank. And I'm going to go meet up with him next weekend. We're going to sit down and try and understand what his business needs. Look at his fabric range and see what he has. And then obviously I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, Jay, can we get these fabrics, you know, patterns like this? And that's what I think that that's where the value comes in, collaborating with these guys and providing a service that's higher than what they're currently getting. And you're definitely right. I, I, I definitely take that point on, you know, it's, we do, I think we do a much better job than a, a person who's not really seen the production of, of a suit. Mm. Yeah. Now, I think what Jay was talking about with the empathy as well, like having that understanding, having that, that kind of, I hate the word holistic, but having a really holistic approach to the, to the industry. Now, I understand what Jay says originally, where like tailors make bad distributors, but at the same time, the more contact you have with the end user, the more, the more experience you have in the industry holistically, you're going to be able to better position the product with the right customer. And you know, it's not yeah. just about sales. And like you said, it's about the story. It's about having the right fit. And if you can match the mm -hmm. right fit, then you're good. Yeah, no, you're right, man. You're definitely right. I mean, like for me, 20 to 30 year old, like when, when I was 20 till 25, I've actually never seen what my cloth looks like on a person. Like, I mean, not a lot. And I've never got uh, to deal with like the end user experience so much, but you know, once I started getting more involved and in, like, you know, acting like a tailor understanding and seeing like, start seeing more of my friends who are about to get married, come and make suits. I would see really firsthand how my fabric would look like. It helps me design the next fabric collection a lot better. Yeah. I know what to put yeah. in my bag as a, as a clothier 
what's what's a complete package yeah mm. yeah that's good so yeah, that, yeah let's do package you know make, i make think sense um, as a clothier or as a as a tailor like being able to put that package together and understand oh, this is the right piece this is the right fabric for this this is the right piece for that it makes a lot of sense so yeah uh, you you were sitting in a place that looked like a tailor shop before like um like on the angle you were sitting in palma are you where are yeah. you at you're at home or yeah this, yeah so you know i work from home so it's obviously my, my little studio but i'll show you it's sort of is that what you saw oh nice oh yes 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 yeah yeah got a nice spot yes yeah it's good it's good uh, a lot of light comes through um yeah, yeah the suits all suits are all on display we're, we're ready to work Ready, always ready, right? That's right. All right, then let's do the 10 questions. I want to come back to Apara and the, the future of uh, Palma's uh, venture. So, yeah, these are, these are 10 questions that we ask every, uh, every guest. Of course, you've never seen these before or heard these before. No one ever has, right? That, that's what we tell people. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of a running gag that, that they're, they're unknown, but obviously everyone knows them. But we talk yeah. about fabrics a lot, you know, especially in the clothing industry, you know, talking about fabrics, talking about, you know, what we like, what, what's best for a suit. But if you had to pick only one, right, uh, linen, yeah. wool, or cotton, which one would you choose and why? And is this only for a suit? No, no, for everything. For the rest of your life, you can pick only one. It has to be, it has to be cotton for me because of the versatility in cotton. Okay. So, so suiting everything cotton what would what is it so what's the versatility that you like about it is it because of the, the climate that you're in or and you know what there's something about cotton and, and this has started just recently maybe in the mm. past two years cotton is just so comfortable and every time i feel i wear cotton i just feel so comfortable it's unbelievable so like a, it's a cotton t-shirt or just like a cotton pair of chinos or whatever the case is um i've sort of I mean, I used to be really sort of strict in what I wore. I wore a lot of suits. I was just really sort of down the line. I only started wearing chinos maybe about a year ago, right? Mm. So that feeling, you know, the way cotton feels on you, the breathability with cotton is just, um, is just phenomenal. And I mean, again, a cotton suit in summer is very cool too. You know, once it wears, it looks fantastic. So I think it has to be cotton. You like Seersucker? Uh yeah, I like Seasack actually. I don't mind Seasack at all. Yeah, I think, you know, that's one of the, the cottons that, like, especially for hot weather, obviously that's like a Southern kind of, Southern American thing. Like, a, yeah. Good yeah. day to you, chat. Good day to you, sir. Yeah, I do that's declare. Right. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, yes. Seersucker as a, as a fabric is, is one of the more interesting ones, especially from cotton. Like if you're going to put cotton for everything, you know. Yeah, and nice. it's like we'll, we'll definitely give it a bit of jazz. Yeah. yeah I feel like yeah. a little bit in, too much like a winter. plantation owner, though, if I, if I wear it. In the, in no, the but winter. If you, <laughs> no, but if, if, you, if you wore it like a, like a navy seersucker, yeah. that's kind of cool. I like that, you know, like yeah. a navy seersucker is, is dope. That sort of white and blue line one, I don't dig that. <laughs> you how don't? Do you, uh, how cold is it in, in Joburg? I mean, it's, it's kind of cold right now. It's about, we're sort of in end of winter now. Yep. So we're going to go into summer next, spring next month. It's about seven degrees Celsius at the moment. So you get really cold. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets up to like zero and minus during yeah. like midwinter. So, yeah, it gets cold. Nice. So, yeah, cotton. Yeah. Cotton's a good one for you because you have hot summers, cold winters. You can pretty much do everything with cotton. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And linen, linen, linen wrinkles too much. <laughs> I like the wrinkles, but linen would be rough yeah, as crushed. underwear. Oh yeah, man! Imagine that in socks. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite menswear item? Uh, menswear item, I'd have to say uh, a, a suit jacket, like a blazer suit jacket. Okay. Um, I, I wear a blazer, a suit jacket, and I feel like I am untouchable, especially if it's cut properly. Uh, like the stuff that I get from Naples, I wear that. I feel a million dollars, so it has to be that. So, so you like the, that blazer style more than like a uh, like a sport coat? Yeah, blazer style. You go with the gold buttons and everything? Yeah. No, no, not really. I mean, I, I like it soft, so sort of nothing on the shoulder, and then spalakamicha in the... In the, in the shoulder uh, and then just sort of just like easy wear with a pair of like linen pants t-shirt off you go yeah so three roll two more or double breasted more uh double breast i'm double a double breasted huh everyone all these guys with the choose, double breasted i'm not feeling uh, it choose bit choose better than one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but what if you could have three like total recall style no, no, that's too far from me. I can't take it, man. <laughs> so I, I notice even this jacket that you're wearing here, it's got like a very, like a very soft shoulder to it. Yeah, soft shoulder, wide, wide lapel. Yeah. And it is, it's a double breast, double breast as well. Okay. You like the peaks? Well, yeah. You always do huh? the peak? Yeah, we got to do the peak. Yeah, Jay's uh, a peak. I said it, it looks, it looks fly as fuck. Yeah. Well, you I only wear like, peaks, right? I've never seen you in a notch. Uh, do you wear a notch? I do, I do, I do here and there. Um, I've got uh, that that made made a Naples suit you saw me in as a, as a notch. Okay, so I love a, I love notch, but Jay Jay hates it. And then the other day he wore a notch a notch suit, and I was like, Hey, what's going on? You okay? You sick? What what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be, be more conservative. So this this is my favorite question that that we ask in this ten set. Yeah. Is it ever okay to wear denim on denim on denim on denim, you know, i.e. the Canadian tuxedo, the, the jeans, the jacket, the shirt, the underwear, the hat, everything? Oh, man. Look, that's not for me. I'll be honest with you. That's not for me. Although, although I've seen some super cool Japanese dudes do it, and it looks cool on them. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So in Japan, they love that like Americana workwear style, and so they they do like the yeah. the wide leg jeans with the suspenders, yeah. like, the jacket over it. It's a bit much. I think it's cool. I think it looks great on them. You know, I think it's kind of. I mean, I've sort of adopted for my casual wear. I've sort of adopted a little bit of that Americana kind of vibe, but I wouldn't do the double or triple denim. That's too much. Yeah, yeah, but I definitely. I like jeans. I have a hard time, like if I if I'm wearing jeans or like jean shorts, I would have a hard time to wear anything else denim other than like a hat, because I'd be like, oh, it's too close. It's it's too similar, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I've seen Jay dripping lately. He he walks out. He's got the all denim Canadian tuxedo. He actually has a, a three roll <laughs> two denim jacket. <laughs> I actually want to do it. I want to do it. I do it. I'm I'm fascinated by the fucking you know. West, like how, how Ross Bennett is, like the Texas Taylor dude. Yeah. I want to learn all of that stuff. Like, 
don't want to kill. I don't want to kill animals though. But I want to like be around that. But like, I'm I'm too scared of like being around, you know, rednecks with guns and I'm brown. You know, but I want to <laughs> go there. It's like kind of like playing with fire a little bit. Well, it's exciting. We had yeah. Ross Bennett on the show, and he talked about he probably spent like a good hour talking about all the different things he's killed on his friend's ranch. Oh, and and Dana is a vegan, so uh, Dana was a very good listener on that one for sure. Like, okay, I'm like, what's it taste like? <laughs> He's like, one of the ranches out there has like some endangered African uh, gazelle or something, like gazelle or something with um, yeah. long horns, and um, it's yeah. like an endangered thing that they they breed. Like the largest population of them is in Texas, right? And they can't oh, be released wow. back into the wild. And so it's like to, to keep the population healthy, they have controlled hunts. Like you can, you hunt X per month. And uh, he's like, oh, That's I got wild. to go kill one of these. And he's got the head on the wall and everything. And Jay's like, okay, data. He's like sending me messages. You, you, you okay with this? <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Oh my word. Ever hunted? Hunt, uh, no, no, never hunted. Just uh, human. No, I think I've, I know. <laughs> on a yeah. on a Friday night, that's how you hunt. <laughs> yes, like at the as, 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 as we do, as we do. I'm the lion. <laughs> uh, I'm a lion when it comes to night. Yeah, yeah, just just hunting at the clubs, hunting at the. Uh, did you do any hunting when you came to Bangkok? Um, not really. I mean, we went out. It we was actually fast. Went out it was fat. Yeah, we we worked a lot. But, but, for but sure. We went out to one spot. You remember that spot we went to in town where there was that sort of cool store out there with like Louis Vuitton and all this vintage stuff. Uh -huh. There were some cute girls. There were some cute girls there. I really quite enjoyed <laughs> that. I was talking to one outside, remember? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so the club, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the one where you met the Thailand's most famous rapper and uh, yeah. he was talking to you a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which club was this, oh, Jack? That was cool. So it's it's owned by the rappers that I I played music video off, uh, oh, yeah. where I play the villain in the music video. Titanium. So yeah, Titanium. So uh, it was Khan's uh, club, and um, I don't think it's even around anymore. But that was a good club, right? Like it was uh, the music was yeah. good and shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's super dope, and the food was cool too because they had food in there. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's and then so we met that cute chick. Oh yes. Yeah. The Australian girl, she was half Thai, half Australian. Remember her? Yes, she's cool. yes. <laughs> she hit me up. Yo, she hit me up. She hit me up like two months after when she came back to Melbourne. Uh, I mean, I didn't end up catching up with her. Oh, it was so uh, funny because like the first thing she said was, uh, he, you remind me of a Usain Bolt kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I was How like, I didn't even that. say anything about you and Usain Bolt at all. And uh, yeah. that's the first thing she says. She could feel the, yeah, the energy. Cool. She could feel the energy. She could feel the energy. And did yeah, she feel the cute. energy? But, no, no, not like that. But. We, we <laughs> oh, man. Now, I know you were talking about like you, you, how much you love the Neapolitan uh, craftsmanship and style. You know, when we talk about, yeah. you know, tailoring, you're in the, the M2M suit business as well. You know, a lot of times we, we put it in like certain categories, like Italian, British, American. Do you have a, a favorite tailoring style that you sort of gravitate towards? I think for the past for the past five or five to six years, it's been Neapolitan tailoring for me mm. or nothing. You know, I've really been so obsessed with the 
with the Neapolitan tailor. There's aspects of it which I think are beautiful. But within saying that, in the past maybe year, I'm really opening up to, to English tailor. I think maybe it's because I'm getting older too, and the cuts that I'm going for are a lot wider. Yeah. So I'm going for a wider leg trouser, um, and I do like the sort of bold, you know, sturdy sort of cut that the English guys do. So slowly, I think I'm, I'm ending. I'm going to end up in in the English tailoring. Um, but yeah, so I'm sort of I'm sort of split. I'm sort of in between at the moment, you know, sort of my Neapolitan stuff and and sort of the the British tailoring. American tailoring I don't like at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's too, it's too, it's too. Don't cry, it's don't too, cry, Dana. <laughs> so let, let me ask you this though, as as an aside, is there a specific style to African tailoring? I I, I know this is being like super general because Africans a huge continent, yeah. a billion people, but uh, are there specific yeah. elements to tailoring in different parts of Africa that are unique comparatively to Neapolitan, British, American? No, um, essentially, I think I think a lot of African tailoring really lends a hand from English tailoring, obviously because of the whole colonization. You know, the, the way Africa was colonized, and yeah. the majority of countries were colonized by 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 you know by by the by the British. You find that a lot of the places you go and a lot of the tailors who were here, they cut very English. Um, that sort of strong shoulder, you know, that's 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 the vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's so kind of. That, that's the tailoring culture is sort of that aesthetic yeah that's that's definitely the aesthetic i mean yeah. i know we're we'll deal we're i mean our business we deal with a lot of younger guys but then there must be some like really og tailors in in africa the continent that you know in different parts of the kenya for example where you know that yeah. we get a lot yeah. of there must be some og old uncle that you know can cut magnificent suits that we don't know about or yeah. you know don't have an instagram or shit like that yeah. No. Look, I've 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 really I've really started you know digging and trying to understand tailoring in Africa and wanting to use African tailors and wanting to make a product that's made in Africa. I think it's a really big thing for me uh, right now. You know, where I think as Africans we undercut ourselves in a lot of things. You know, you look at products like minerals and stuff like that. You know, like you have diamonds. We sell diamonds for from Africa and we send them to where India or Belgium, or whatever, and then they cut them there. But we end up buying them back at 20 times the price. You know, you sure. look at stuff like mo, you look at stuff like mohair. You know, South Africa produces uh, the most amount and the most luxurious mohair as a fiber, but it gets sent to England and gets milled in England, and then we end up buying it back through Huddersfield or whatever at 20 <laughs> times the price. 20 times the price. Yeah. So Sorry. for me, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's for my sex, drugs, and alcohol budget. <laughs> For me, for me, it's so important to to now come back home, come back into Africa, and create a value chain. You know, if we if if we're making a raw product here, let's develop it, let's produce and create a value chain for this product, and be able to send it as an end product. You know, that's really a big thing for me. And even when I look at stuff like my my clothing, you know, I want a lot of my clothing to be made here, and then yes, to be marketed on the region in Africa, but also to Italy, to to England. You know, having a boutique. You know, a Button Brothers boutique in Italy is a dream that that I'd love to have, or in Australia, or whatever the case is. But the product is genuinely made from 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 Africa. So, you know, I think there's a long way to go, but I think the opportunity is 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 arising. Uh, you know, you find places like China. China now, you know, the middle class is obviously growing and it's been growing for a very long time. So you find it's getting more expensive to manufacture stuff there. You know, 
So where's next? And I, I really strongly believe Africa's the next point because labor's super cheap here. You already see Chinese coming in and buying African factories and starting to manufacture stuff here. So this is sort of our time where I think it's going to be a boom in, in, in production. And I think it's, it's what happened to China 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, is what's going to happen to Africa in the next 20, 30 years. So, Super yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can't think, wait yeah. for that. Are you, I hope you don't speak Chinese, though, in 10, 20 years from now, because <laughs> they've been buying a lot of land. and. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Own, they own a lot of mineral rights. But like, yeah. I, I think it's interesting what you're, you're talking about, because if you think from, like, a, one, a national security perspective, if you're your own country, right, like, Control, controlling yeah. your supply chain, but also economic security, right? Being able yeah. to, to, like you said, create the value chain. I think of like a Zimbabwean mm-hmm. cotton is actually some of the most sought after cotton exactly. for denim, right? And, um, 100%. and like if you, if like high end, like super high end brand denim brands in Japan will always market Zimbabwean cotton as their, as their denim yeah. because that is like wow. the best for it. You yeah. know, Egyptian cotton. Yeah. Momotaro does that. And what, what was that? Momotaro, Momotaro does that. Momotaro, yeah. the, yeah, Momotaro, the Japanese, yeah. yeah, they didn't break. And Ironheart as well, you know, all these, all these big brands. You know, and like everyone yeah. talks about Egyptian cotton, but Zimbabwean cotton, like if you actually see the, I, I was watching a documentary about the fibers of Zimbabwean cotton, like the, the way their structure is just so much better than other forms. It's the way they're grown, mm. cultivated, you know, all these things like really interesting. And they, I've seen other companies, like uh, there's a, a U.S. company called Origin, where the guy buys, yeah. he's in like bumfuck Maine somewhere, like like one of the worst <laughs> places in America to live. It's cold. It's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's beautiful, but like like it's not a city, right? But he buys American cotton. He he has his own mill. He's making his own. Uh, he's weaving his own fabrics, whether it's denim or he does like uh, ghee pants, right? He buys American leather to make boots. Like everything they yeah. do, like he's trying to create this whole like supply chain. He has a vision of manufacturing jobs coming back to America. Yeah. And I yeah. think that, that concept applies anywhere. Like if you're in Africa, you should, you should want like your products to be made, produced and, and marketed there because it, it creates yeah. an overall better economy. If you're in Thailand, the same thing. You should want like, you know, yeah. Thai fabric, Thai yeah, it seems like products. local people don't really want to support the local products because it's um, they want to do imported and stuff. No, and, and I, I understand like the the luxury market, like Gucci's Gucci for a reason, right? <coughs> Chanel, Chanel for yeah. a reason. But at, at the same time, like if you if you understand like how economies grow, it's really a smart play to to build value chain supply chain in in manufacturing and yeah. in, in products that are strong domestically yeah zimbabwean yeah. cotton is it is it um man you got me interested about it so so you said i there's a documentary to watch about this yeah. i'm not going to share it with you though yeah. fuck you it's it's like what <laughs> like 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 cotton for pants or like denim no, so it's a, it's or? a heavyweight long fiber cotton it's beautiful yeah yeah, and apparently, apparently, Zimbabwean cotton soaks up the amount, the most amount of indigo ink, or whatever, yeah. um, in in um, and in Japanese. That, that's why the Japanese like it. That's why they like yeah. using Zimbabwean cotton because it sucks up so much ink. But also, it's got this sort of rough finish to it. When once it's milled, mm. it's got this rough finish to it, mm. and the Japanese like to do that in their uh, in their Japanese uh, denim. They like that texture, which is, which is quite the texture. Yeah, but a lot of sh- a lot of shirting brands too. I think like Thomas Mason and those guys. 
they they buys the bottom cotton as well because it's so fine and they use it in their shirting apparently. It's a very long fibered cotton, so it creates a, a very strong finished yeah. product. And the Japanese yeah. mill it in a way to give it that rough texture. For shirting, it mm. actually can be very smooth. It depends on the, the yeah. milling and the finish and, and how it's uh, loomed. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, but yeah, yeah beautiful cool. fiber. And I mean, like when you see, like if you see a pair of Zimbabwean cotton jeans, you know right away it's Zimbabwean cotton because there's no way to, like that finish, the starchiness to it, there, there's no way to replicate that with other cottons. Well, there you yeah. go, Palmer. So source it yeah. for me and uh, sell it back to me, man. Yes, yes. But I mean, this is essentially, you know, the conversation that I've had with a few people as well, you know, places like Zimbabwe, and there's, there's a few places in Africa as well. I mean, South Africa is like that too. We produce so much. So Zimbabwe used to be called the breadbasket of Africa. This is back in the 80s and 90s, because we used to produce so much and we used to export so much. We used to export from, you know, from, uh, from horticulture to, to, you know, to, to, to to, to maize, to whatever the case was. Mm. Um, and I mean, obviously now, because of the political situation, it's, it's just really bad. But, you know, if we took that on us and started producing these products and then taking them to the next level, I think that's that the mindset the African politicians need to have, the African businessmen need to have. We need to take it to the next level. You know, we, we need to come to the, to the plate and play with, with the Americans and the Italians, you know, for the Italians to be, have that made in Italy brand name it didn't happen overnight. It took a long time, but it mm -hmm. took the seed. They put the seed in and they probably struggled for a while, but eventually people are like, oh my word, made in Italy, made in America, made in, in England, you know? And I think Africa's got the potential because we've got a lot of people and a lot of people who are really good at crafts, you know, mm -hmm. handwork, all that sort of stuff. We've, we've got that here. But I think it's the patience that we're lacking. You know, we, we undersell ourselves a lot. That's the problem. Now, there's also yeah. an economic side to that too, right? You need... Like the population needs to see, like you said, patience. They, they need to see the payoff, but you need the economic development, both, you know, domestically and internationally to, to help you yeah. get to that point where the brand of made in X, made in Zimbabwe, made in South Africa, made in Kenya has value. And, you know, that, yeah. that just takes, it takes a lot of money over a lot of time. You know, yeah, I'm sure right. it, it wasn't cheap for Italy, for made in Italy to become a marquee thing. Yeah. The thing and unity is a big thing. Yeah. Unity is a big thing. Like where your own people want to support your own people. You think that's the factor of, that changes? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you'll find. I'll give. I'll give you an example, right? There's a brand here called Matosa. Uh, it's it's owned by one of my friends called Laduma, and it's a beautiful product. They make um they make these sort of knitted wear from mohair, which is obviously found in South Africa, but they make it in a traditional sort of African print kind of thing. It's actually kind of cool. But I met Laduma about seven, eight years ago. I met him at Pity because he was actually showcasing at Pity. And Laduma got a lot of traction in the UK, in Italy, and in Japan. People started buying the stuff, you know, and it was great for him. And people in Africa didn't buy it. They only started buying that product after all these other people from Japan and Italy started buying it. So you find people, especially in Africa, will, will only really respond to your product once other people start kind of like buying it and they get hype from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It happened to my friends in uh, Malaysia. It's a chemical company called IGL Coatings. They make uh, automotive coatings. So like yeah. water repellent for the windshield, like uh, anti-rust for like under the cars. And they're based in KL. And no one in Malaysia wants to fuck with their, their product, right? And Malaysia produces cars. They have a large automotive production sector. They actually have, I think, two domestic brands. Um, 
So they were selling it in America, selling it in Europe, selling it in Japan. It wasn't until it became a popular product in America that Malaysian companies wanted to start fucking with their product. Because until yeah. then, they saw it as like a cheap domestic alternative to these more expensive like uh, things like, oh, no, it's, it's not a good quality product because it's made here. But the second yeah, like, yeah. they became, you know, big in like all over Europe, all over the U.S. and other parts of Asia, Malaysian companies like, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to do business with you. So I'm glad to see their yeah. success now. But like the same thing is like you said with your your friends in Africa with the knitwear, it, it took success outside the region for it to become popular domestically. Yeah. And I think like you see in America now, like made in America is a big thing. So like people want to buy domestic yeah. products. I think in Italy as well. But Thailand, I think, yeah. is the same as, like you said, in Africa. Like, no one wants to fuck with a made-in-Thailand product. Not yeah, like, I mean, okay, realistically, right? Imagine, um, big, there's a thing that, okay, if I wear a Thai silk, uh, you know, suit, I'll automatically look like a lame, corrupted politician. <laughs> automatically. Well, you're, you're corrupted. You're just not a politician so, yet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to just stay lame and corrupted. Yeah. But I don't want to look like a fucking politician. Yeah. Well, I, I would say but I mean, it's just probably... like nobody done it well. Like, I mean, it's just like no, nobody did it in a way. Like Jim Thompson, there's a store. Uh, Pama, did I take you to Jim Thompson when you were here? Like a silk um, factory? Oh, no, we didn't go there. Uh, no, no, okay. So so Jim Thompson, you know, it's 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 great product, uh, silk, uh, Thai silk. <clears throat> But if you wear Jim Thompson and walking out, you automatically look like a like a sex tourist American yeah. dude, um, uh, old <laughs> old guy walking with a eighteen product. year old. Yeah, but like it, you don't see locals doing it. No. You don't see locals embracing it. So here's the thing: I went, a, I went to a craft expo the other day for for time made fabrics, and uh, I, I knew one of the uh, the the weaving masters that was there, this textile master Michi. Um, and uh michai and um i was looking at like the fabrics they were selling and it's like they make these robes and one robe was two hundred fifty thousand baht about eight thousand us dollars it's made with like hand woven with gold thread takes two years to make right but wow yeah it's, it's quite intricate but like they were all sold and they were all bought by thai people like everything already said purchased on it you know, they were just out wow. for display because these were like the premium pieces. So everything from like a thousand dollars all the way up to like, like this $8,000, like they were a couple of like 500 ones, but so I, I mean, there are certain things, but like, that's a, a small group of people. There was like maybe 50 people at this, at this expo, at this event. Mm. And of those 50 people, probably 15 of them bought all those robes because they're collectors mm. and they just... So you know, they, I guess that like is the way to do it, right? Like, I mean, think of Harry's tweet for Scotland. Think of, you know, like, yeah. there's, I think, like, like Zimbabwean cotton. Yeah, I'm surprised that I've never heard of it before. But, like, I mean, Dana knows pretty well about it. Um, so I guess the next thing would be, like, designing that product that's desired around the world and then come mm. back and sell Japan to locals. Japan buys, like, 80% yeah. of it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah they turn it into denim. You know, it's like okay, it's like cool. how like uh, China buys all like the cobalt from Africa. Japan buys all yeah, this yeah. Zimbabwean cotton. 
All right. Yeah, so basically, right. the answer to the question is Italian tailoring, and you're evolving to English tailoring. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Back to it. Back to it. Yeah. yeah. That's why okay. I love yeah, the ten questions because it it could go. It could be a huge part of the podcast because it's not like a one answer. Ding ding dong. Yeah. It's like you know. Yeah. It's we riff on know. it a little. We riff. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. How about yeah, your accessory? So that's right. Jay talked about your accessory game at Pity. What's your What's your favorite accessory? Oh man, listen, my favorite accessory has to be it has to be a tie. I love a good tie. Really? Um, I love a tie, but I think essentially what I really love is a watch. But watches are so freaking expensive, dog. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's the only issue I've got with them, and like. Um, I think eventually I'll get there. You know, I think I'll get there and I'll be able to buy a Rolex, you know, mm. in precious metal and that'll be cool and, I, and I'd love it, you know, or like a Patek Philippe. But uh, for now, it has to be a tie and, um, you know, a five-fold, a three-fold, five-fold tie is always is always quite nice, usually from Naples. A Sparka, Sparka Neapolis does some beautiful ties. So mm. I've got a few of those. Um, so yeah, 100%. Tie guy. Very tie guy, it's me. Tie guy. Now, how on point do you think a man's style game should be? What well, style game? Yeah. I think, I think, you know, I think style is a very interesting thing. I think everyone's got their own style. I think for me, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example of myself. Style for me is a way of me communicating to people mm. about who I am as a person. And I think it's so important for you to do that because people look at you and unfortunately they make an assumption about you based on what you look. Right. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing people need to invest in and try to understand who are they as people and what do they want to portray. Uh, it's, so, it's so important. Um, I mean, I'll give an example. When I started getting into fashion, right, I, I sort of was a very shy young boy, you know, growing mm. up. But I love, I love girls and I just couldn't speak. I was bad at speaking and I used to stutter a lot, so I couldn't get my words out. But I sort of started wearing a lot of really different looking clothing and it was interesting. And girls would look at me and be like, you're different, you know? And that would be like a conversation starter or that sort mm. of thing. So again, as I say, it's a perception. It's what you're trying to put out there. Um, if you're a serious banker, please look like one and dress up in a double breast pinstripe suit or three piece, you know? I think it's, it's, it's so important for you to, 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 to think about that. And, and especially as a man now, I think a lot of men now are very like passive in how yeah. they dress. I mean, passive in a lot of things, but especially how they dress. You know, people just rock t-shirts or whatever. And, mm. and I think it's cool, whatever, if you're in that space. But if you want to try and portray something, if you want to go somewhere and really make a difference in, in your uh, career or in your business, people are going to take you seriously based on what you look like. Damn, I'm the, I'm the one sitting here with the fucking t-shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Dana. In my defense, I was just downstairs cutting right before this episode. Well, in oh, his defense, really? he's the only one uh, who knows how to cut something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listen, you've got the suspenders and the cap on, so you're cool. You're vibes, yeah, you know? Yeah. All right, as long, as long as we're cool, as long as we're cool, Palmer, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I feel good yeah. now. Yeah, I, I'm only cool. saying he's cool because he could beat me up. So, yeah, you're cool as fuck, Dana. Jay, Jay's taking boxing classes. I keep trying to tell Jay that we should have a boxing match. He doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, but you're a fucking oh. giant. I'm not going to fuck with you We're in a boxing ring. class, bro. 
Yeah, but like mine is all fucking pizzas and fucking tacos. Yeah, it's all tacos. Mexican kingpin, huh? Mexican polieta <laughs> mafia. Yeah. 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 So you, you yeah. talked about watches. Like you, you, you have like a, you said Ty's your favorite accessory, but you have like this, this desire to own expensive watches. Yeah. How on point do you think a guy's watch game should be in, in that regard? Like, you know, it's a, like I, yeah. I rock the Apple Watch, my $200, you know, Apple that's Watch. Cool. That's like Apple Watch 2 I, or something. You know, and I got Jay yeah. over here rocking like thousand dollar pieces, but <laughs> yeah, like where, I mean, where do you listen, think it should be? I think for me, I, and again, I, I mean, speaking from experience, I think watches are really. Um, I love watches. I love. I'm a very traditional guy too, so I like mechanical watches. Hmm. Uh, but within saying that too, like I love an Apple Watch. You know, hmm. and I think an Apple Watch is sort of the only casual watch that I drop, or like I just a really chill watch that I'd wear. Hmm. Everything else has to be a hundred. And that's my personality. You know, when I do stuff, it's either a zero or it's a hundred, right? So whether it be tailoring or fabric or whatever the case is, you know, or cars or whatever the case is, I like a certain style and I like a certain level. Hmm. So there's a lot of watches out there, which is sort of in between, you know, $500 watches or whatever. I wouldn't go and buy such a watch, you know, personally. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and, and I actually don't, I don't, I don't own a watch. I don't have a watch. Um, I mean, essentially, if you've got the money and you have the opportunity, I think you should really invest in a watch because it's a good way to store money as well. Mm. You know, it's a good way to store money. Um, I think they look great. For myself, personally, I love, as I said before, I like Rolexes. I, I love, mean, it's not a good way to store money. It's a good way to launder money <laughs> if you need <laughs> no, store no, money. The no. good way to store money is in a fucking bank. That's the best way to no, store money. No, no, Liquidate no, no. easier. I, I, I disagree. A sports model Rolex can liquidate quicker than going to the bank right now. It's crazy. Any sports model Rolex, if you've got one, they grow up in value and you can, you can flip it as quick as God knows what. So essentially, store of money. But, um, you know, I love Rolex sports models. I like, I like the Tech Philippe's. Um, and, you know, eventually, you know, if Jay keeps on bringing this fabric, I'm going to be able to buy one and make some money. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your first so, yeah. one that you want? First one has to be, I think, I think I'm going to go for like a day, a day, a day just, I think a day just Rolex, day just Rolex. Yeah, but that's a, not unachievable, day just vintage, especially like, like it's, it's half the price. Yeah, they're, they're like what, like 6K, 5, 6K US? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Not all of us have that kind of money, Jay. No, 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 but I'm saying, I'm just saying like day just, day just yeah. this is, uh, He's like, I have and, five. and would it be gold? Would it be gold yeah. or silver? No, I do. I do a day just in a stainless steel, and then from there I go into a day date, a presidential, and then I do that in a real gangster gold with gold. black dial. Yeah, yellow gold with black dial. PG Dude, style. that's my yeah, yeah. That's my that's my that's my uh, bucket list for sure yeah. to get. But like, Maybe it's just too expensive. It's like at least ten k, yeah. so yeah. I can't get yeah. it. Yet. I think yeah, for me, so I, that, I feel like I'm addicted to the Apple Watch now. Like all the data I get from it. Like, why? Why are you so even talking then? If you're talking about Apple Watch, why are you talking about watch? <laughs> why are you talking, Dana? Why you, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all of this because the next episode, the next guest is gonna trash the fuck out of me. So I'm, 
I'm doing Dana. a job in Dana as much as possible. Dana, is this guy always this horrible to you? Yeah. No. No, it's usually me being horrible to him. So it's, it's like a... Yeah. Uh, He's getting good, you back. Refreshing, yeah. You know, even his awesome. Apple Watch is like he's got the precious metal Apple Watch, and I'm here with the uh, the aluminum oh. body one. Uh, excuse me, it's with it's with handmade straps from yeah, Italy. He's got a handmade strap on wow. his with with wow. Maxis written on the inside because that's my fucking nickname. I've got the sweat stained uh, silicone one. I sweat so much at the silicone strap stained. Yeah, awesome. No, but Dana, would you get a watch? Like, would you? Is that something in your plan? I, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't. Like, I, I was, so I was going down to meet with some investors in KL, and one of them invited me to like his watch club. Like, they have like a like a happy hour once a month, and he's like, "Oh, get a watch and like uh and come like like don't just wear your Apple Watch." He told me, <laughs> and I was like, oh, "I don't really, <laughs> I don't really want to buy a watch to go to this." And like this, there's something as an engineer, right? Like a former engineer, I do appreciate the the craftsmanship and the the mechanics of an automatic watch and a mechanical watch a lot. But at the same time, like I said, I'm I'm very addicted to the data that I get from my from my Apple Watch. So if I were to take it off, I'd probably what I would do is I would just swap the orientation. I'd wear it on my right wrist and wear a watch on my left, so that I'm not losing my my heart rate, my 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 step data like my my caloric burn all those things that the watch gives me um but there's certain things like i i like like and i'm i guess like i'm a huge guy i have an eight inch wrist and so like i, I look at but i like smaller watches because i think it's a much more technical thing to build an automatic watch at like 35 millimeters as opposed to 40 you know mm. and like, like there's those types of things. And so it would look goofy on me anyway, because I'd have this little tiny, skinny automatic watch and it looked like a, like a little tic-tac on my wrist. A Panerai, a Panerai would suit you. Panerai would be cool, yeah. Right? And, 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 we're just, and, and, we're just and, putting and, thoughts in Dana's heads now. <laughs> like it's, he's yeah. been, been a humble monk in Apple Watch for a while asking these questions. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, by the end of the show, he'll look at no, Panerai. I, I mean, if, if I... If I needed it for something or like if I really did want to elevate my watch game, yeah, I would look at, I'd want something too that would expose the internals of the watch. I think that's always kind of cool. Like to see the, yeah. the movement as opposed to like, just look at the face. Like I like the art of the engineering. And I think to yeah, me, we'll that's one of the appealing things. Like, like strip away the function of it and just make it an artistic piece and show the internal workings. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, this, what... this question will reflect on Dana, uh, Dana's answers. Um, so, like, how on point should a man's watch game be? <laughs> Who's this question directed to? To me? To, to you, yeah, to Palmer. Um, I mean, I'm going, I mean, obviously going back to that question. Um, I think, you know, each man should have at least one automatic watch. Just one. And I mean, in saying that, it could be a tag. You know, if that's what you, you can afford, at least as a tag. Because these things, you pass them down. They're, they're like heirloom pieces, too. You pass them down to kids or whatever the case is. Yeah. And also, again, about perception. You know, if you're a businessman, especially for like guys like me and Jay, you know, you walk into a room with like serious guys. Usually, and unfortunately, it's unfortunate, the first thing they're going to look at is your watch yeah. and your shoes, you know? Sure. So I think it depends what area you're in. You know, if you're, you know, not really into things like business or whatever, it's fine, whatever. You can, have, you can wear your whatever. But like... If you're in business, I think at least one mechanical watch. What watch and shoes, the two things I'm cheap on, right? I wear $12 sneakers and I have an <laughs> Apple watch. <laughs> Jay, can you take this 
guy for freaking shopping, bro. Dude, have you seen his size? I ain't messing with him. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I wear a pair of shoes. I wear shoes made in Thailand called Nanyangs. They're just canvas shoes with like a rubber toe. I've worn them for years. But this is the other. I'm thing. like straight like ghetto ghetto shoes, like like you know, dude, high school. Amazing. I went to a but black because he's a, he's a huge American dude, it looks cool on him. It works. Um, you know, but like if, if, if he was a Thai guy wearing that, lose it right away. So I've done multi-million dollar deals when I had tech companies rocking, you know, shorts, nanyangs, and like not before I even had an Apple Watch, I had nothing, right? So I just had like my little Fitbit. But Dana, you're much smarter than both of us put together, mate. You know what I mean? You're in there for your brains. We walk in there, we're selling dreams to these people. So we got to know the part. Yes, bro. that's true. That's true. That's true. When you have zero skills and you got to bullshit on 120% level. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I respect counts. the hustle. I respect the hustle for sure. So you've got, you've got to blind them with a the watch, you know, you know, place the watch into their eyes and they're like, oh shit, this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. True. Where do you get that yeah. panerai? Where do you get that uh, fillet, uh, patek philippe? Patek philippe. I don't know. Is it patek philippe? <laughs> patek philippe, yeah. Okay. I got it right once. That's all that matters. <laughs> all right. Cool. So do you have a style icon that you look up to, Palmer? Um, it has to oh, be. Thank you very uh, much. It's Jay. Thank you. I know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be Gianni, Gianni Agnelli, um, the, the industrialist from Fiat. Okay. Um, I, think he's, I think he's phenomenal. I think anytime I'm down on inspiration of, you know, what sort of suit to make, I just sort of go into his old photos and I look at, you know, the gangster, you know, suits he used to make. And the thing about Gianni is, you know, he was really individual. You know, people who wear suits, like, like for example, I like Prince Charles. I think he's got great style. You know, it's classic, it's clean. But it has no character. You know, you look at Gianni, you know, he used to do this thing where he used to put on his watch on top of his shirt. You know, yeah. no one ever did that. It's wild, you know. And then his tie, you know, the fat part of the tie would be shorter than the, 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 the skinny part, which was like, did you know, do you even know how to tie a tie? But he was so like non-care, so nonchalant, so sprezzatura, really, that's what he was. And it looked like he put no effort at all in what he was doing, but he probably spent like 10 10 hours dressing up and I love that about him and I think I've taken a lot from his book and tried to implement that, that into myself you know and, and and really bring that out yeah so right. it's Jan. I mean it's yeah. almost like the word sprezzatura was invented for for him you know yeah. he is definitely yeah. the king of sprezzatura yeah he's great and then I mean the, and I think he's the original influencer too because you have guys like Valentino who started copying him in wearing their watches on top of their their, their shirt, you know, whatever, mm. and, you know, sort of wearing the ties like that. So he's really like the OG influencer when it comes to like, you know, Spazzatura, Italian style sort of thing. Mm. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah, you think about that. Yeah, it's very true. Like before influencers were influencers, right? Yeah. 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 Now, how formal do you think a guy should be on a daily basis? Man, listen, if you ask me this question like pre COVID, I would have gone so hard. I would have been like, yo, guys should never wear like no shorts, no Gurkha shorts, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Fuck Gurkha <laughs> shorts anyways. <laughs> but um, I mean, post-COVID, I've been in a tracksuit probably 70% of the time. This is the first time I've really bought, uh, like, bought a tracksuit, which, you know, like walk into a store, buy a tracksuit, buy t-shirts and like house shoes. 
Mm. Um, and I think that's cool too, you know, and I've really been enjoying the comfort with that. Um, so, I mean, now I'm just like, tracksuit is sort of like the level for me. I wear tracksuit most of the time. Uh, and I, I think it's okay for guys to wear tracksuits. You know, I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. But pre-COVID, I would have said at least a blazer and chinos. That's mm. what I would have said. Yeah. And now pants optional. Pardon? Now in COVID life, pants are optional. Yeah, no, they're optional. 100%. How do you think, how do you think uh, menswear is going to be, how do you think it's going to change in the post COVID world? Oh man, listen, I think it's, look, I'll give, I'll give you two things. Hmm. Pre COVID, we had already started seeing a shift in the way men were dressing already, especially in the corporate scene. Um, and obviously because I sell suits, I automatically get a feel of what's going on when it comes to like, you know, corporate or whatever. And, you know, it was becoming a lot more relaxed, you know, in, in, in that environment. So for us selling suits, we had to start thinking of ways to start selling to these people. So obviously we started bringing chinos, started bringing polos and stuff like that. Mm. Um, after COVID, again, I think it's going to change again. I think style or clothing for men especially is going to be a lot more relaxed. And that's why you see I'm sort of taking on this Apara business, which is an athleisure business, mm. um, quite seriously. But I think that's the direction in which we're going we're gonna to go. Uh, I think people are going to be a lot more relaxed. People are going to be more comfortable wearing tracksuits and, and things which are a bit more casual. Um, you know, I think, I think it's the avid suit guy who's going to continue wearing a suit mm. and it won't change. But I think as a whole, it's going to be quite different. Now, I was obviously I, I spent a lot of time in, in the startup tech space over 20 years, you know, on and off. And, you know, in the startup world, suits are kind of like a, a bad thing, right? If, if you're the guy who shows up to yeah. a meeting in a suit, you're, you're the outcast. But at the same time, like the way style has sort of degraded in the uh, in the startup space, guys are wearing like fleece vests every day with, you know, chinos mm. and and really no personal flair. Everything's kind of become a monolith. And then yeah. you get guys who really stand out, like a, um, like a, there's a gentleman named Vince Cerf. He is very much credited with being the founder of the internet, but he's an executive yeah. at Google, and he wears a three-piece suit every day to the office in Mountain View or when they go to the office, yeah. you know. And there, there are people who I, I think you start to see there's a, a bit of a pushback against, like, that sort of monolithic look that you get in the tech industry where you know mm. everyone wears a hoodie or everyone wears a fleece vest and everyone wears khakis mm. right there, there's been a pushback mm. on that to some extent and i think especially the the made to measure space i think takes a, a lot of opportunity takes a lot of opportunity to people to express their own style a little bit more mm. in a much easier mm. fashion where you know you don't have to wear a patagonia fleece vest to the office with a pair of uh, dockers every day you can do something a little yeah, bit yeah. different and it can fit well and it can look good. And, you know, there's, there's opportunity out there. And I, I, I'm hoping that in a post COVID world, people start to see their individual expression through style a little bit more formally than they did previously. I, I hope it was kind of a wake up, like, you know, I hope so. I, yeah, hope, so. I hope, you know, it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I, I think that, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where people are wearing suits to the office every day again, but I think, you know, sport coats might become more part of the, the everyday wardrobe lexicon. 
Yeah. Look, if that happens, I'm so happy because I'm going to continue making money through through suit, you know, through jacket suiting, you know. Um, he's already yeah. got it covered. He's he's running three yeah. empires, right? It's like tracksuit and suits and fabric. So anyway, he I'm, still makes money. I've got my basics covered, bro. Diversification. Yeah, no, that's you definitely have to, right? You definitely have to be able to diversify and and get out there and you know and make a uh, make an empire. Yeah, now, usually the 100%. next question I ask people is it to tie or not to tie, and but you've already said that a tie is your favorite accessory, so I, I can't really ask yeah. you that question because I know the answer. A tie, hundred percent. I I rock out of the house wearing a pair of like pants, shirt, tie, and a hat. That's me. Um, really? In summer and spring, yeah, and no, I love it. I love a good tie. I mean, a tie is a sense of for me because I've got a lot of them. It's a sense of expression, you know, like, and the, it's the color, which the color which gets me. I don't know if you've seen the Spaka Neapolis ties. They're so bold in color. Mm. And you could wear stuff, plain white shirt, plain navy pants, you know, super like chilled, conservative kind of look and rock this crazy tie. And it just makes you feel good. You know, people look at that tie and they feel good because they see the color, they see the vibrancy. So, mm. yeah, that's me. And another thing, a lot of people don't wear ties. And you become very individual when you wear one. So, there you go. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. That's going in the notes to, to uh, make for sure. Now, now what about yeah. what about other types of you know neckwear? So like a, a neckerchief or a bolo or a bow tie. Um, look, believe it or not, I used to wear. I used to be very prep. Going back ten years ago, I used to be Ralph Lauren like bow tie, jumper across my neck, you know, boat shoes kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, wear the, the I don't wear the I couldn't afford purple label. They have to be polo blue label. <laughs> no one can afford purple label. I don't know why they're making it. That's yeah, well, but um, no, you know, I sort of, I'm done with, I'm done with both ties. I don't wear them much. I only wear them in like black tie. Yeah. You know, obviously with the tuxedo. Um, next calves. I mean, for me, sometimes they look a bit dicky mm. and a bit wanky. So I, I don't really do them. I do them here and there, uh, but not very, not very much. Jay and I, for the Dapper Villains brand, we've been working on uh, neckerchiefs and uh, with, with a little bit of flair to it. So something to look forward to from Dapper Villains, if you're listening. Awesome. So Something for Palma to distribute in Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dapper bring Villains. Them, bring them across. Palma, who would be the next guy you think in, in your connection that we should do this podcast with? Um, I, think, I think someone in... Someone in West Africa, I think Mai. I think Mai would be great because he could give us a really good um, idea of what West Africa is like. West Africa is very different to the South. Mm. It's so rich in it's so rich in culture, and a place like Nigeria is really, um, I think, is like a, an epicenter for Black people. I think a lot of us come from the West and from those areas, and even like the, your African American listeners they will really connect with that because a lot of African-Americans come from West Africa. Hmm. Um, and for you to understand what's happening in West Africa and trying to correlate that to the Caribbean and to America, I think is vital. You know, you look, like, you look at things like, um, like, like clothing and you look at things like music. A lot of African-Americans and a lot of Caribbean people naturally have that West African thing in them. You know, you go to West Africa and you listen to some of the, you know, to, uh, to the Caribbean, you listen to some of the music. It sounds very similar to, to, to Nigerian or, mm. or Ghanaian music. 
And it's because there's still that really strong connection. But I think there hasn't been a lot of work in trying to connect the two areas well, you know, trying to connect in fashion, that is, in menswear, connecting Americans to Nigeria, to Nigerian fashion or West African fashion or clothing, and then trying to make sense of it and saying, okay, we understand that this is happening because of this, mm. you know. Um, so I think Maya might be really good for that. Another guy that I respect and I think is phenomenal is a guy called Laduma. Uh, he's from South Africa. Uh, he's got that brand called Matosa. Great guy, super loving, super great. Uh, but he's probably one of the, he's the, he is the most successful South African black designer. He's got a beautiful store in, he's got two beautiful stores in Johannesburg and a beautiful store in Cape Town, which he just recently opened. And this product is sold all over the globe. I think he's great. And I think he could be really good for the show. Nice. Can you yeah. connect us? 100%. No Thank problem. you so much. You know, one of the, we're on record that you're going to connect yeah. us. So. Yeah, you've got my email. so You might, you might get sued, all right, if you don't do it. <laughs> We've got a, uh, <laughs> you know, in America, there's a lot of Nigerian uh, immigrants. And uh, I, I remember when I lived in Boston, this is like the, the late 90s. Was, uh, it, it almost seemed like every cab driver was Nigerian in, uh, mm, in Boston. Mm. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, man, they, these are like, these are guys who would like migrate or like immigrate to the U S and just work nonstop. Like that, yeah. that mentality of like hustle for success was like, they would be working like a day job, drive cabs at night, clean, see, clean someplace overnight and then go back to their day job. Like this nonstop yeah. work ethic, like for these guys, who, yeah. at least the ones who I met that migrated, I worked with at one of the startups I worked at in Boston in the, late 90s early 2000s probably half the delivery drivers for our company were nigerian and that was like their fifth wow. job wow yeah i mean that, that's definitely there and you, know, you find places like nigeria they're really populated there's a lot yeah. of people but there's very little opportunity so the fight for opportunity is big you know when you're in nigeria so when you, when you come to america or when you go to a first world country uh, and i mean a similar thing happened to me too you know you go to a first world country and you see all this opportunity and you just go crazy. You know, you just want to be able to encapsulate and take all of this and be able to make yourself a better person. Yeah. There was a, a guy in uh, Boston when I lived there. So he was a friend of one of the drivers, Nigerian guy. He opened up a pizza place. He'd never had pizza before he came to America. Right. And he, he wow. saved up enough money in like a year working to open a small pizza place, made really good pizza. I was like, well, he's like, well, I saw like all these other people have successful pizza places. So I figure I'll try it. Yeah, wow, there you go. Yeah. That's awesome. So That's our awesome. last question on the 10 is which movie character has their style game on lock? When you look like anyone in the cinema. What? Um, well, I'm going to go to specific films that okay. I like and, and a particular character. First one, and which, which was inspiring for me, something that I watched and I really liked. So the first one is uh, Dickie Greenfield in uh, Tadith and Mr. Ripley. Okay. I thought great. he was phenomenal. I, uh, I thought it was great. And then when it comes to like tutorial, I remember watching this movie when I was about 18, uh, The Godfather. Mm. And I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you remember the guy, uh, Virgil Solotto, the, the, yeah. the character. Yeah. And he used to work with the Tatalia family. Oh, I saw him in a Bosalino hat and he was wearing this double breast, um, it was a double breast chalk stripe suit. And I was like, that's me. That's what I want to look like every single day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was super, I was super, I was super inspired by those particular characters. Um, but when it comes to like style and fashion and like that sort of stuff, what am I, what am I inspired by? I think, oh, I can't really say. I don't know. I don't know if I'm inspired by anyone in film as in a daily mm. sort of um, menswear kind of thing. Talented Mr. Ripley is a great one because the style in that. The styles in that movie shifted so much as they moved around Europe and stuff, like from America to Europe, and yeah. you know, like the, the yeah, style shifted yeah. so hard. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I really, really liked it. Oh man, I'd forgotten about that movie. That's a great flick. I, I watched ages ago. I need to go back and watch it. That's what I need to do. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. I'm gonna go back and watch that too, man. I, that, that's a great answer. No one's, no one's brought that one up for sure. Like, uh, yeah. We get we get a few kind of like repeats. Godfather is just more common. Yeah, yeah, but no one's talked about talented Mr. Ripley. But I mean, good. It's uh, he, you're specific about uh, which which character in yeah. Godfather, and yeah. uh, I, I remember like when Jay Gatz brought up Godfather, I never uh, looked at it from that perspective. That oh, it's more Reno style. It was like the the, the neckerchief and all of those things. Look yeah. at it in that perspective. So now I'm gonna look up. Yeah. Uh, which character you talk about my cigar spot that which i'm going tonight they always play godfather on mute and they play some other music but when i was like dude on projector i was like dude i have to have a projector in my shop and just play godfather because that is the most inspiring thing for me to make my next suit yeah it's phenomenal it's phenomenal yeah so so what's next um look the thing is, I've only been in Africa for six months, um, so I'm gonna be here for a lot, a much longer time. It's it's a journey for me, you know. I'm not, I'm not in any form of rush. Um, I want to build an empire within Africa, uh, an empire which is going to benefit Africans and create jobs nice. and do all the sort of all the sort of good things. But I know it's gonna take time. I know it's gonna take an investment. I know, you know. So that's that's the thing for me. You know, I'm gonna continue growing Button Brothers, uh, Capra. I think it's going to do very well. Uh, I am extremely optimistic about what Capra can do in, in Africa, especially once we spread through the whole continent. I think it's going to be a product that's really going to be a game changer for most people here. So I think that for me is, 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 is really a baby for me, and I'm going to grow that. And Apara too. Apara has, has got growth. I think it's going to continue growing, um, especially, and I think it's going to grow overseas too. I think that link between Africa and African Americans is where we're really going to get a lot of traction. We're able to bring something that's truly African, something that's truly connected to mm. them and they can experience what it's like to be on the motherland, you know? So mm. I think that's going to grow well. I'm really uh, sort of excited for that. And I think there's a lot of projects which are going to come my way, um, you know, uh, God, you know, God willing. Um, and I, in that textile space is really fashion textile. Uh, I look at it, in a, in, a, in a business mind most of the time. And, you know, I get really passionate about stuff, you know, about suiting and all that sort of thing, but I always have that business mind on my, on my head too. And I think it's going to be a journey, you know, in the next 20 years, 10, 15, 20 years, where we're going to look back to this conversation and say, hey, the journey started, you know, back then when we had that conversation, but look at where we are now. You know, I think Palmer's and Palmer is a name that people are going to be speaking about you know, in, in America, in Europe, mm. in Australia, saying, no, this African dude is, you know, he's hectic, you know, he's, he's really doing stuff out there and he's creating value where I'm not just coming here to rape and pillage, 
I'm here to come, I'm coming to build uh, the people. So that's where, that's where I'm sort of at. And that's what I think I'm going to end up. You're out there to reach up, not push down. Exactly. That's right. That's right. That's awesome, man. It's a great vision. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're talking to you now at the the beginning of that journey, because I really want us to like keep talking to you and following what your progress and like that empire building aspect of it. For sure. For sure. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I, lo- I love your vision of just connecting with people in their heritage. And yeah, I'm so, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us, dude. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, man. Well, have a great day, brother. And we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All links. Oh, where can people find you, by the way? Where can the, your Instagram, your webpage? Yeah. Yes. So you can find me. Uh, my personal uh, Instagram is by Zeke. So B Y uh, dot Z I E K. Uh, you can also follow us on Button Brothers. That's our suiting business. Uh, and Capra, we do all the um, Capra fabrics. We do all these uh, the fabric stuff on there. So all on Instagram. Also, um, website. Uh, it's um, buttonbrothers.com.au. You can also catch us on there. Awesome. Okay. All those links will be in the show notes. You guys can check that out. Have a great day. Thank Thanks, you, man. sir. Take care. Ciao. So Jay, Palmer, Ezekiel, man, what a great guest. A dude with a vision. Vision. I think like um, we have never had a guest that ended a show with where he wants to be in the next 10 years. You know? Someone who has it and, so mapped uh, out. Yeah, so mapped out. And uh, I think he had uh, his business, the way he runs it is very like um, jigsaw puzzle. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. I mean, the guy promises and he delivers nice. more than than uh you know um, a lot of people have worked with for sure and uh that's why i really wanted to to have him i think his story could inspire mm. uh, uh a lot of people because he also came from humble beginnings and uh made it to where he's he's happy with um but you know he's still at, at that strong vision mode and uh dude was selling cars at 12 years old on his dad's car there you go i Broadway. mean do went it. to university in Australia and now he's got three businesses that he started up in in South Africa, complete the third country he's lived in. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's and his answers were all um very cool too. And I think this is the first time we had somebody give us the outlook on the future of African businesses. Yeah. Um and also the first guy outside of America that we have talked to. For sure. Um so yeah it's it's very unique very unique episode and uh very educational very you know fun a lot of fun we we laughed a lot about um my clubbing experience with him and shit but uh, a lot more to come man a lot more to come a lot more clubbing to come yes yes a lot more clubbing to come nice now we get, you know we some get... somebody once told me about this and um this would be a great outro because um it's, it's fine to do business with friends, but uh, what's more fun about doing business with friends is when you succeed or when you win something, mm. the celebration with among your friends is very different than just, you know, drinking with your friends or mm. chilling with your friends. It's like when you get that milestone, you reach that together, there's a sense of camaraderie that you don't get without doing business. Indeed. It's almost sports-like. You know, like a, like a team, it becomes that. And uh, that's what I, I feel I have with Palmer. Like every little steps we get uh, with you as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when, when Dapper Villains grow, it's a little step, little step ahead, little step ahead, but, you know. Chipping away at it. You know, that's what, yeah. that's one of the things I love about like 
like this size of business, like what we're doing with Dapper Villains, like yeah. the podcast, but the brand is that like me and you, well, I'll say more me than, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're, we're out there hustling for it. Like we're both putting in work. Like you're out there talking to the rake, you're, you've got your shop, you're talking to the guys that you're, that you're partnering with. You know, we're looking at different products. We're developing stuff, getting, you're giving me feedback. We're, you know, we're, we're like, a give and take but we're doing it ourselves like we don't have investors like we it's me and you like we're out there doing it and it's yeah. our own money on the line and our own skin in the game you know and like yeah. i see that he's like he's got a partner with his uh, button brothers but he's out there he's putting his skin in the game as well and you're doing that with him with the copra and we use copra yeah. in one of our bags right so like yeah you know everything's kind of coming together in all these different ways you know yeah, it's absolutely when I was in the tech space, it's about, okay, we need to raise, you know, $6 million and we need to, you know, get 18 months out of that 6 million and we need to do this and get this type of traction. And here it's about, yeah, we have these ideas. We want to, we want to create it. We want to grow it. We want to like share information. And you know, I think it's so much more rewarding, but it's definitely, it's definitely backbreaking. Right. Yes. Yes. It's, it is. I mean, small business is beautiful, but it's, it is, um, it's less organized. It's mm. a lot more personal and uh, requires a lot more out of you. And one of the thing, like to me, right in the startup world, it's not accessible to everyone, right? Like you have to have, you have to be able to execute on a different level and you need to, mm. you need access to large amounts of cash. And you know, the, the small business world, even like, you know, like I obviously like you're, you're as a merchant, your business is quite large, but it's still a, a small business from the perspective yes. of like, of what you do of like a, a multinational company yeah and like this um, is sure. these types of businesses like the journey that we're having that that you know we're doing here that you're doing with palmer and africa these are accessible to anyone right if you have mm. the drive and the motivation you have the idea like it's accessible to you right I, mm. i've had a hardware company like where we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on product development that's not accessible to everyone no that's not what something a startup can do. Yeah. And like, well, I mean, that's a startup thing, but like you need, that's a startup on a different level. You need different types of, you need access to capital, you need engineers and you know, it's a different thing that if you're just, if you have an idea for a small business, like that's not accessible, but this is like a dapper villain story is accessible. A copper fabric story is accessible, mm. right? Even Huddersfield. I mean, it's, you guys weren't a it, huge i mean it just right started away. yeah but yeah no of course and we we just started not that long ago and yeah. like i mean the the level where it climbs and i mean huddersfield is one thing that could become that yeah um could become the thing but i do enjoy yeah. at this level yeah, i don't so. i don't want to say i don't want it to grow but um i am very happy where it's at but i don't mind if it grows for me like with dapper villains i want it to grow but i want it to grow at a, a manageable pace like yeah, i don't, want, yeah, I don't yeah. want to wake up tomorrow and be like hey we have to fulfill orders for 700 stores around the world mm. right i want to wake up tomorrow and work on what we're developing and then get that out there and people gain interest and i'm sure it's the same with you with copper right you don't want to you don't want to wake up tomorrow and be like hey we need forty-five thousand bolts of uh, this chino fabric in yeah. like 600 countries you know or 150 mm. countries you know it's you know, we, and it's more enjoyable like this, you know, it's not yes. obviously the, the rewards at the end of the day, aren't the same as like big tech firms, 
where you're gonna have multi-million dollar exits like in a 24 month period or a 36 month period but it's something you build like your hands are dirty doing it and that's what i get mm. from palmer right and like we've talked with like uh, rich fresh too we talked to him the other day rich fresh's story about he was living in a shelter two years ago and now he's got a periwinkle maserati right or, or and a ferrari and a mansion in la taylor draper who we talked to who's like completely like put himself into this clothier business that he has or or um franklin moss from franklin and anthony right these are small businesses these guys are building to success to build something that they can you know hand on kind of like you've got with your Absolutely. your fabric company with your uh, merchant company from your father who was uh yeah. fourth generation i know the it's not like a straight generational line with yours. You told me the whole crazy story about how your dad left and started his own company and like all that, yeah, and, you know, yeah, it's yeah. hustle and grind and, you know, yeah. but hearing it from Palmer is just a great, like, and especially like you and I know, like one company's tough. Three is tough times mm -hmm. three, you know, it's yeah, eventually yeah, more true. difficult. And, and he's a very hardworking guy. I know that for a fact. And yeah. uh, like every time I get orders, I'm like, dude, like you just ordered last week. You know, uh, yeah. he, he is he's full grind mode, 100 percent. It's fucking epic. And awesome. uh, one of those like characters, you know, when when you talk about what's a man's man. Yeah. You know, that's what Pama Pama is, in my opinion, like a gentleman by definition. Hmm. Classic. So that's why I really wanted him to 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 be on the show. I'm looking forward to connecting to the the other people he has uh, in mind for us. We're gonna hold him to it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, till till next time. Stay dapper. <laughs> stay, stay villainous. villainous. <laughs>